Welcome to the Movie Business Podcast, picking up where Movie Business Book left off. I'm Jason Squire, hosting a wide range of industry talent and executives to answer fundamental questions about the business today. Here we go. And we're going behind the scenes at Sony Pictures Classics with co-presidents and co-founders Michael Barker and Tom Bernard. The company celebrated its 30th anniversary in 2022 and has distributed and often produced some of the finest independent films, including 41 Oscar wins. Highlights from their impressive catalog are 186 Oscar nominations, including for Best Picture, The Father, Call Me By Your Name, Whiplash, Amour, Midnight in Paris, An Education, Capote, and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. They have collaborated with some of the world's great filmmakers, from Pedro Almodovar to Chloe Zhou. Welcome, Tom and Michael. Thank you. Uh, let, me, uh, let me just add uh, one that you forgot that uh, is, I think, very relevant today is a movie called Searching for Sugar Man. And it's about, uh, it's, it's about a guy named Rodriguez who was a lost musician found by a filmmaker. The movie won the Oscar. And Rodriguez has passed away today at 81. And so oh, I want to give a nod and shout out to uh, yeah, that's certainly the man who was the hero of that film. And hope that all listeners take a look at it because this movie will give you uh, just a smile and a tear and will blow you away in terms of what this true story uh, is about. Well, thank you for the opportunity to... Uh offer uh, condolences and i saw the movie it, it's true it's a really wonderful movie and as tom says worth seeing so thank you again welcome guys to the podcast well thank you great to be here great to be here so let's jump right in and uh ask about the secrets of sony pictures classics well, well what are the secrets uh what, what kind of secrets you're looking for you see <laughs> you see he's hiding the secrets already i notice there's lots of secrets. See? But uh, what, what kind of <laughs> secrets are you interested in? Uh, mostly, mostly the uh, the good secrets that are that well are forged from your years in the trenches, independent filmmaking distribution. Well, I, I can I can say one secret. I know Michael's got a lot of secrets, but I think one secret is that nobody knows how old we are, and that <laughs> we've been doing this That's for right. about forty years. <laughs> And so I think we're the last of the Mohicans in the sense that when we showed up on the scene back in the late 70s, there was the, the, the sort of the end of the wild and strange uh, studio world of the 60s where, you know, everybody was dressed in a suit and uh, had a cigar and, you know, they were, you know, way above being in the fray of the movies. And we started with, um, I guess, the... The independent scene that was uh, the beginning with guys like John Waters and, and Fassbender and those kind of people. And there was a big changeover. And so we got to see the past. We got to see the, 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 the present of when we grew up in the business. And we're now using that to take us to a new level to adapt to the new world that's just showed up. It's interesting how. So that's a secret. Oh, that, that's a good one. You know, the content remains. The technology shifts, however challenging that might be. Michael, is there another hidden secret? Well, I, I think what we're all about are those movies that have a long tail. 
that stand the test of time. And when we started together, it was the same situation actually as it is now. Like you say, the technology changes. I think independent movies have always been difficult to make, to release, but the challenges change. And you have to change with the times, but have faith in the quality of the films that, yes, you're going for the highest box office you can get, but you you feel a, you have a sense and a strategy that the, these films will live on forever, you know? And that that is kind of the secret of the success of independent films, because more often than not, the quality ones are the ones that live on forever. Well, and, and just, to, just to throw in there, what we want to do, and what I think our motto has been that has always helped us, is we want quality movies from around the world that are director-driven and and uh, have an impact on the world. And so that's sort of been our motto. And so no matter what era we're in, we're choosing movies that, that have that kind of impact. And as the generations change, the movies change, and it's important to be able to still identify what that is that's going to have that current impact the politics of today are very different than the politics of, of of 40 years ago and and just on every other level of how people communicate what the youth is like the old people were the young people at one point when we started and the movies stay the same and the movie theaters stay the same and it's just figuring out what we can put in those theaters with that kind of uh, mantra that will attract the present day audience and so we've constantly been able to upgrade when the times changed and one of the other secrets i guess is that we have a very young staff and constantly are feeding that young staff uh, as they move on to other places in the industry we get a new crop and and so there are many many people out there that are working in, in jobs and big companies and whatnot that started out at sony pictures classics wow and there's another beat here with all of your success it does come down to individual taste and intuition. And that's yeah. you guys, and that's kind of a secret sauce that can't be replicated. So that's another secret in my well, opinion. Well, it's complicated. You know, yes, it's intuition and taste comes into it, but also a kind of knowledge of the business and how to get uh, to reach out and market to audiences that are going to take to these films, how to help the word of mouth and it's, it's as Tom says, you're speaking, the, the ideal movie for us speaks to the moment as well as will, will continue to be resonant to generations to come. And, you know, we have created a brand that has major support over the years. And we can't diminish the value of that support. You know, Tom mentioned Rodriguez, but also... Billy Friedkin passed uh, a couple of days ago, the great filmmaker who made French Connection and The Exorcist. And I have to tell you, he has been a fan of Sony classics from the very beginning. He was one of those people, he saw all of our movies every year, and when he, when he really loved something and he felt it needed a push, he'd go on social media and push that film. He would talk to Academy members. He was, he was passionate about high quality film and those that is kind of the mark of our ardent fans over the years 
And of course, the age ranges of these people have really changed. We have new fans that are very young. I think the pandemic has caused us to have a much younger audience, a bigger audience, who became kind of uh, cinephiles during the pandemic. And, and um, the audience is very key to this. And our understanding of the audience and our, I, I think the secret, though, to our survival has to do with what Tom is talking about, of being flexible, being able to change when it makes sense in the marketplace. Now, there are those to say you should make more drastic changes than you're, than you're doing, and they're wrong, actually, because the bottom line is that the theatrical distribution, playing a movie in a movie theater, has always and still remains the primary way to give your title distinction for all the future platforms it may appear in, but also the best way to see these movies in a movie theater. And and we are a company that feels that is not going away. And if the, the box office gross is not what it would have been in the past or what you really want it to be, you can make up for that revenue if uh, in the future platforms, if you had have made that that crucial impression on the public who will get to that film if they don't get to it, they actually get to it later. That's one of the, one of, one of the things is, is really that if you put a movie in a movie, putting a film in a movie theater, okay, everybody perceives it differently. So the media perceives it differently. You get a good critic and maybe better space in, in, in the New York Times. You get better space on all of the media and outlets. And if it's a subject that uh, is, is important uh, of the moment, it's covered. And, and it's the movie theater says that. It somehow makes that a more important venue than if it was on a stream. Streams come and go. Mm -hmm. Streams are, they don't travel. If you have a streamer movie, it stays in the stream. They put it in the back in the shed. It doesn't really go to the airlines it doesn't go in home entertainment it doesn't show up in all of these places for you know ad nauseum so no movie theaters are really until they go go away they are the place where your movie is going to have the, the longest life and the most recognition and being taken as serious cinema rather than something that's uh, somewhere between a a TV show from the past and, and uh, maybe a made-for-cable event that used to be the, the, the movies of the 80s. Very good. Now, here's another question. We clear up the, the mystery. How do you gentlemen divide your responsibilities? Well, that's an interesting question because we're totally interchangeable. Ah, hmm. Can you say, Tom? We well, we know, we, we know each other so well that when we started this business, we used to sell to the theaters. We'd buy the movies. We'd make the ads. Uh, we both came from uh, movie theater. We, we ran cinema clubs in college in the 70s, which were basically running a movie theater on campus. And so and we were, you know, soup to nuts. It was like, you know, we had to promote it. We had to choose a movie that people were going to go to. We had to, you know, make sure the auditorium is there. When all the, the, the word was out. And so we have those skills and we've always decided not to move above those those places in our business in other words a lot of people go great now i'll be the chief and we'll have all these workers 
we're very much involved on, in the day-to-day in every aspect of the filmmaking business that we are in. So we're sitting at the head of the, the, the distribution group. We're sitting at the head of the marketing group. We're sitting at the head of the acquisitions group. These are people we interact with all day long. And so if Michael knows something a little better than I know about a subject matter, I know what that is. I know when that is. And then Michael speaks and, and everyone listens. And I know what Michael's saying is going to be better than what I'm going to be saying and vice versa. We may look at an ad together. Michael may, you know, say, gee, this is laid out bad. I may say, hey, you know what? But this picture's not very good. This is a thing that years ago, the only people I can remember in the movie business that did this sort of thing were Simmel and Daly at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I read about how they would interact. And, and they seem to interact in the same way that we do in every aspect of what their product is going to be and how it's going to be presented. And so, you know, uh, there's no uh, Sony Classics if there's no Barker and Bernard. Very good. Well, thank you. Let's turn to the question of lessons learned in the specialized distribution area. Over the years, are there certain lessons that came up and said, gee, you know, okay, that's, uh, that helps in the future? I'll just tell you one thing that gets me. I think every, every two years, somebody, some podcast guy or some <laughs> independent journalist, or, they say, ah, the independent film is dead. It's yeah. over. The yeah. theater business is over. It's just... What is this mantra where people say this and it constantly continues? I mean, it survived the radio. It survived television. It survived uh, the video cassettes. The movie business is never going away. And the independent voice that comes out of the zeitgeist that projects their stories into the movies is always going to be there. And so, you know, I, I don't just know. I guess people don't remember that it's always been there. And so they think, God, it's going to die. We don't know what's going to happen. But right. that's that's one thing that to me is just, just drives me crazy. Ah, Your textbook, Jason. Your textbook, Jason, makes that very clear. Well, thank you. That's, that's nice of you to say. Let's turn now to uh, another classic question. How does a new filmmaker seek distribution? What is your advice for the new filmmaker? One thing I'm going to say, okay, Michael's got a lot... But I'll give you, I'll give you, I think the biggest tip I can give to a new filmmaker. Don't think that putting it in a film festival is going to make it happen for you. I run into so many situations we do where, oh, yeah, we got in this film festival in uh, St. Louis, and, you know, and so and everyone loved it. Well, guess what? You know what just meant? That meant that Sundance is not taking you. The New York Film Festival is not probably going to take you. The Toronto Film Festival is probably not going to take you because... They do not want to be shown up by a lesser film festival. And so it, you, you're, the way that you present your movie is a very calculated and, and, and important way. And it has many ramifications of what happens to your movie in the future. Because a festival is a great place to create a reputation. It's a great place to launch a film. It's a great place to sell a film. But to just randomly think that's going to get you going if just because you happen to get into South by Southwest and that's your move you got to think that through and you need to talk to a lot of advisors to be sure that is the best move for your movie. That's one thing that, I, you know, is very key, I think. Yeah, I think education is the most important thing. I mean, I'm, I'm bringing up your book again, Jason. I think it's important to understand the process of the film business as much as you can, where the publicist fits in, film festivals, all these things. It's, it's it's exhibition. And uh, I remember where I learned it. And I think 
it's good advice for filmmakers and actually maybe in your book somewhere is if you, if you look at the top 50 grosses, box office grosses, uh, for the weekend, like in Variety or Hollywood Porter or something, and you go down it and you try to understand that chart and what it means when a movie does business or doesn't do business, when a movie of a big budget does business as opposed to a tiny independent film. And that education of understanding how it works and what's meaningful and understanding all the players Okay, who are all the companies that distribute film? Each one of them has a different mission. Each one of them has a different goal. Some of them don't even play films theatrically. Some of them are strictly streamers. Some of them, they, they have, every, every company has a different MO, the ones that are attached to a big motion picture company, the ones that are standalones. And I think it's important with your film that you, or if you're a filmmaker and you don't want to do the task, you have a producer that can do it for you, you have a kind of lay of, a knowledge of the lay of the land to have a good idea of where you think your film belongs in the zeitgeist. But it's important to have an opinion on that. Well, like let, that. Me just, let me just throw in, it's the movie business. And yeah. all these people that are out there now that, that want to get into film school and, and be a, a you know a huge success they have forgotten about the movie business the business part of the movie uh, the movie discussion because first question who is your movie for who is going to watch your movie did you happen to decide to make your movie for a certain group of people that will you know go see it that will help monetize the film and make people want to buy it a lot of people aren't asking that question. They're going to make a piece of art. And I think that there is, you know, there, it's great to be able to do that. But the fact is you're going to have investors. You're going to have people that have paid to be part of your movie. And we, we're, we're dealing with, you know, maybe, maybe Michael's seen nine producers on a title and every one of them, we got, I just got a phone call from some guy who owns part of the New York Yankees that, uh, you know, wants to know what's happening with his movie. And, and so yours are, you have a responsibility to these people that are giving you the money to let them know what's, what, you're do, what you're up to. Because when you see a lot of movies, and what a great movie, but who's going to go see it? And as a distributor, that's a question that they all ask. How am I going to monetize this to be able to buy it? Because well, that, you're not going to get it for free. Yeah, this is very helpful. Uh, thank you. Let's turn to the final question. Gentlemen, what's your prognosis for the business? Well, I'll tell you mine. As everything evolves right now, the theaters, there's, there's a disruption. You know, I think you have a guy on your campus here named Jeffrey Cole who teaches disruption. And there's a disruption in the business. And the disruption is that the movie theaters have always counted on the distributors to market and, and position the movies for them. And they would sell their concessions and, and do what they do. And everything would be fine. Well, that's changed dramatically because when people open movies and you see it a lot, this is not certainly our mantra, but you don't see it saying in the end of the ad on your TV or wherever you see it in theaters now. They don't say it. They are launching a movie for all the new platforms that they're going to be able to monetize. And a lot of them are using the theaters as a springboard to get to that platform. And 
the less people that see it and the more people that heard about it, the better it is for that person for the other platform. And so the theaters need to take charge of their audience. It used to be that way back in the old days when you had an art theater, a guy, there was a man named Dan Talbot who ran the Lincoln Plaza Cinemas and the New Yorker. And he had an audience that showed up. They didn't even know what was playing. They showed up because he programmed well. He had a, a theater that was full of, of knowledgeable people. He had the right kind of posters, the right kind of trailers. He made sure the critics saw the films. This is something that the theaters need to take charge of again. And one of the magic things that they have right now is they have the data of all their customers. And their customers are started to fade away because they're not, it's not in the conversation like it used to be to go to the movies because nobody knows what's playing because the newspapers have stopped running ads because there's other places where people put that out. The critics have, have mostly disappeared right. and they're maybe syndicated or, you know, they're, they're a, a blogger in somebody's basement. And so there's no text to that audience. There's no, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, I don't think is really the best route. And so you would get an email if there was a concert in your town on a band you liked, it would show up. Well, why shouldn't a theater have your taste and say, gee, you know, there's a Spanish movie with Pedro Almodovar coming. We know you've been to several of them. We're opening in our theater on Friday. This is what's not happening right now because the theaters are still stuck in the past. I mean, landmark theaters, think of landmark theaters, one of the, the pinnacles of art movie theaters. Right. They used to have a newsletter that went out and, and we used to have to deal with it all the time. They would not open a movie unless we got a letter from the director that described to the movie, you know, his feelings about the movie to the newsletter that they sent to their customers. Hmm. And that's gone. You know, <clears throat> I have a very positive view of the future. I went to see Barbie the other night. I went to see Oppenheimer the other night. Now, these are two movies where literally every demographic that goes to the movies is ticked off. The mainstream public, the college-educated public, people that go to art movies, people that go to Marvel movies. They all went to these two movies. And... I have also been to theaters like the Angelica. Um, there's a theater in New York called the New Plaza. I've been to these theaters where there's real life in these independent movies, in these low-budget, high-quality independent movies. And my prognosis for the future is the tentpole films, the Marvel films, the Spider-Man movies, the... Even Barbie's considered a tentpole. These these films are going to thrive. These family films that are very broad based are going to thrive. The horror films that are very broad based are going to thrive and triumph. And then you have the niche audience films, which are films like we have, which are the lower budget independent films that that start getting this niche audience. And then have the opportunity to cross over to become mainstream. But if they don't, they still have these ardent supporters forever, actually. And I'm very positive about those two. Now, the difficulty comes with the movies that are made in between. Those lower budgeted big studio, the big studios used to make those lower budget big studio movies they used to make. 
that made up the very best films that were made in the 70s and 80s culture, film culture. Those films are harder and harder to make because they cost a little too much for the studios to go after. The studios have these financial models that make it difficult for them. And what happens is they become movies or TV series that are made for, you know, Max or Netflix or Apple or Amazon. And I think I think that's Paramount Plus. That's where you see a lot of those movies getting diverted to a place that avoids going to the theaters. And I think that's regrettable. I don't know if nowadays a big studio would make all the president's men or uh, ordinary people or, you know, the movies we remember from the 70s and Revere, American Graffiti. I don't know if they would make those films now. I hope they would. But what, what my perception is, those films end up in other places like the platforms. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully little companies like us can make up for it. I, always, I know we're affiliated with Sony, but we still really work off of a very lean financial model, which is, has actually helped us thrive and survive over 30 years. Well, congratulations on all you've done. And thank you so much. A pleasure to host you, gentlemen. Thank you, Michael Barker and Tom Bernard, for participating in the Movie Business Podcast. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you, sir.